Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. At the beginning of Lent, we consider the fragility of life and the inevitability of death. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in a church that observed Lent. Allow me to give you a crash course in Lent. First, Lent was designed to help people get ready for baptism. Did you know that? And if you had already been baptized, it was designed to help you reconsider everything that God had already given you back at your baptism. Now, we have a history of baptizing people at uh, four services a year, but kind of the big one is our Easter service coming up in that font. So, at the risk of sounding like an ad, if (laughs) if you or your child desire to be baptized, please let us know. It's one of the just dopest things that we do as a church. There's lots of it's, it's a fun celebration. We make a big party out of it, and it's really a lot of fun. So, like, if you want to be baptized or your child, like, let us know. We, we will do that in a few weeks. And baptism, theologically, is intimately related to death. Baptism anticipates our own death, burial, and our coming resurrection in Jesus. What you might not know is that tomorrow uh, we will host our first funeral in this building for our youth director, Kamari's dad. Please pray for them. It's at one o'clock tomorrow. At funerals in this space, we actually put the body or the remains by the baptismal waters. And that big old candle back there is a resurrection candle. And we light it at Easter, liturgies, baptisms, and funerals. And this is because Baptism and Lent force us to think about death 
and therefore theologically to think about sin more often than I would prefer to. Now, American Christianity has a way of reading important Bible verses that talk about death and sin and frankly changing the words entirely. I mean, for example, did you ever hear a preacher in a former church quote this one from Romans? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's what's so funny about American Christianity. American Christianity reads the words, the wages of sin is death. And instead we say, oh, you must mean the punishment that God is going to lay on me for my sin. And that's going to be a death penalty. But that's not what those words say. It says the wages of sin. Now I hate to bring grammar into it at 1040 on a Sunday morning, but that's a gen- that's possessive, okay? It's sin's wages. What is a wage? It's what you get paid, right? So what this scripture is actually saying is you could keep employing yourself to sin. You keep getting in the employment line for sin Do not be surprised that the only thing it ever pays you out in is death. It's not, oh, you sin, now God's going to whack you. It's you keep going to sin and employing yourself there, and you keep acting surprised when the only thing it deposits in your account is more death. That's all sin knows how to do is just give you more death. Or you could get in another line where God is just giving eternal life away in Jesus Christ. It's actually a very stark difference. And American Christianity has this really funky, in a negative way, of twisting that into somehow making God the monster of the verse rather than like the savior of the verse. So Lent is a time when people like us think about baptism and begin thinking more seriously and carefully about life and death and sin. So that's number one. Second thing about Lent that you need to know is that it lasts for 40 days. But that's a theological 40. If you actually get the, the calendar days out and you start counting, it's actually more than 40. And that's because Sundays don't count toward your 40 in Lent. Now, I know that you may think I'm just trying to get cute with the tradition there, but I'm not. That's actually the way this thing works. Sundays are resurrection days. So that means if you're giving something up for Lent, today is your day. You may, you know, go, go. Have fun. (laughs) Uh, One note, though, because you might not have grown up in a church that did Lent. A pastoral note from me to you on giving something up for Lent. Uh, The the pastoral wise advice has always been to someone who is going through an extreme hardship. Don't press it further in Lent. Right? I mean, God's not just trying to get masochistic sickos out of all of us, okay? Go easy on yourself. The point is not to get some sort of sick pleasure from suffering. The point is to ask yourself, I wonder what I might learn about myself or even God if I were to refrain from or at least decrease my attention toward a particular vice. But if you've already been handed a pretty hard and pretty tough hand at life, you're suffering enough already. And the church is not asking you to do more than what you're already carrying. I'm reminded of St. Chrysostom who wrote that no act of virtue can be great if it's not actually followed by advantage for others. So no matter how much time you spend fasting, no matter how much time you 
sleep on a hard surface or eat ashes or sigh continually, if you do no good to others, you're not actually doing anything great. Third, Lent is a time for confession. You might not have a habit of going to confession. You may not have even known that like we did that in the Episcopal Church. We do. And I suspect you would actually be a little surprised at what you would learn about yourself and God by rethinking confession. Confession is actually finding a way to talk more truthfully about the actual life you're living. And just having someone trusted that you can just share that with. You may always make an appointment. I will always hear your confession and absolve you of all your sin. A theologian, Herbert McCabe, has helped open up confession for me. He tells us to never be deluded into thinking that if you have contrition for your sins, if you are sorry for your sins, then God will come and forgive you. That God will be touched by your appeal and God will have a change of heart and mind and forgive you. Herbert McCabe says, not a bit of that. God never changes God's mind about you. God is simply in love with you, full stop. What God does again and again and again is change your mind about God. That's why you're sorry. That's what your forgiveness is. You are not forgiven because you confess your sin. You do not come to confession in order to get your sins forgiven. You come to celebrate that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, and you are responding to that act of love by telling a truer story about your life and responding in love. You see that difference? It's subtle, but if you get the difference, it makes a massive distinction in how you live your life because you realize that God is actually for you and with you and loves you. I mean, we taught you this in Sunday school, right? I mean, isn't that like kind of underneath diagnostically the big issue? We learned that God loved us in Sunday school, and then somehow we got into systems of religious oppression along the way that said, well, actually, hold on, there's lots of conditions and clauses that need to problematize that. No, turns out the good news is actually just good news. So we come to Lent to confess our sin knowing that we are forgiven. And we come knowing our sin, but we know that God is not punishing us with death. Rather, God in Jesus Christ has joined us in death. And so we are not fooled by bad theology. Jesus' death was just as banal and vacuous and utterly devastating as ours is going to be. Jesus died as he was born, out of the limelight, in the gutter, a pointless death as a member of a people group under senseless oppression. But in Jesus Christ, God comes right into the heart of our sin, death, evil, violence, and meaninglessness. And what happens is Jesus' death is actually God's own acceptance of the fragility of life and the inevitability of death. All right, so that's Lent. It's in that season that we're given today's gospel, that right after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. I wonder if you have ever felt like you have been led into a wilderness. To go into a place no longer comfortable, no longer familiar, but an unfamiliar place often with an undisclosed terrain. Where the present and the future are frankly so foggy and unclear 
that you begin to even think that your difficult past might not be that bad because at least you knew your way around that old past. Well, we have a God in Jesus who knows what it is to be led into the wilderness, friends. This Lent, you can learn to trust God with your fears of the unknown. And you might be surprised that Jesus is well acquainted with your hesitancies and your frustrations. The gospel says that Jesus did not just go for a weekend getaway to the wilderness to do some glamping. No, he was in the wilderness, which is a really tough place. It sounds enchanted to our ears, but it was a really tough place that you did not want to find yourself in. And he was there for 40 days. Have you ever thought about all the different times that 40 occurs in the Bible? I think principally it's evoking the number of years that God's chosen people, the Jews, were in the wilderness sojourning. They had just been liberated by God from their years of enslavement. In the story, God splits the waters, and then they sojourn towards the promised land for 40 years. Well, here comes Jesus. And just like God split the Red Sea, the waters of baptism split open for Jesus. And then immediately he goes into the desert, into the wilderness for 40 years. Immediately, he's there to be tempted. So Holy Family, take courage. Find your strength in God. You're going to need it. The God who we have in Jesus Christ is a God who knows about long journeys between liberation from enslavement and actually arriving at the promised land. We have a God who knows what it is to have emancipation secured while not yet enjoying the land flowing in milk and honey. We have a God in Jesus Christ who knows how to walk with us every step along the way. So do not give up. Do not give in. You are not alone. You can do this with God's help. So the Spirit forces Jesus into the wilderness to face some temptations. And there's one temptation, turning some stones into bread. That's just a temptation to rely on yourself. Temptation to throw yourself down is a temptation to overinflate your importance. No, you're too important to God's mission. I mean, if you were to fall off a cliff, the angels would come and protect you because you, I mean, we couldn't do it without you. And the temptation to obtain all the kingdoms of the world is, frankly, a temptation to dominate other people rather than serving them. What makes the temptation of power and dominating others so seemingly irresistible, Henri Nouwen asks. Maybe it is that power offers us an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God. It seems easier to control other people than it is to love other people. And it seems easier to own our life than to love the life that we have been given. In the wilderness, Jesus foregoes self-reliance, dismisses self-inflation, and rejects domination. So as you make a Jesus-centered life this Lent, I wonder, how will you learn to rely on God? 
How will you learn to keep your ego in check? How will you learn to love others rather than control others? This kind of Jesus-centered life is not an easy life. While God never promises to make our lives easier, God always gives us everything we need for the living of this life in Jesus Christ. So as our Bishop Andy Doyle says, do not pray for easy lives, but pray instead to be stronger people for the living of life. Do not pray for tasks that are equal to your gifts or your talents or your treasure. But instead, pray for the gifts and the talents and the treasure to meet the tasks that are in front of you. For in that way, once it's all finished, any mission that you've undertaken, any ministry that you have accomplished, it will not be the miracle. You will be the mirror. Every day, you shall wonder at the mercy, love, grace, and power that has come from God through you into the world. You can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.